0: Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you
1: by
2: KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. It's been a long time since we last talked about recreational cannabis here on the podcast, but here we are just a few days away from April 1st and the wait for legal sales to begin Nearly over.
3: The state's cannabis law stipulates that recreational sales begin no later than April 1st, 2022, which marks just a little bit more than a year after New Mexico passed the law. This week, we're taking a look at the cannabis industry in a sort of twofold fashion. The first angle, let's call it a look at the business at large. What can you expect when retail sales begin? And where might you see stores? How many are out there?
2: The second angle, let's just call it myth busting, so to speak. Generally, I mm-hmm. think What are the state's cannabis rules and what can and can't be done when it comes to buying and using cannabis? Also, how will enforcement work for both the state's administrative business regulators and the police officers who are enforcing other elements of the law?
3: Joining us today, Curtis Sagara, KRQE News 13's investigative data reporter who recently interviewed the leader of the state's Cannabis Control Division and top brass at the New Mexico State Police to talk about how this will all work. Curtis, thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me. Me, always a pleasure. So, Curtis, you recently published this myth busting article online. It lays out some of those frequently asked questions about what you can and can't do under this new law. We do want to get to that in a bit, but let's just start really quickly about the industry at large. As a reminder, there are four basic types of licenses. Is that right?
1: Yeah, there's producers. uh, Generally, you can think of those as the growers, the folks that are actually growing cannabis plants. There's a couple types of producer licenses, but um, the key one to know is micro producers. They're going to be growing up to 200 plants. That's really where, you know, startups, uh, people just looking to get into the industry on the cheap are going to be getting in. Um, Then there's also manufacturers. They're going to be making cannabis kind of infused products, gummies, the like. And then there are retailers. Um, You know, of course, those are the folks that are going to be selling these products on the shelves in Albuquerque and other places throughout New Mexico.
3: So if people want to look up online, who's applying for what license, they can do that, right? You can just go online and search.
1: Yeah, the Cannabis Control Division did create an online database where you can look at applications that have been submitted, even just in process and haven't been fully approved yet. You can see the associated addresses, what kinds of businesses these are going to be and get a sense of, you know, who's applying to this industry, what it might look like as time goes on.
3: We'll definitely link to that in our show notes for anyone listening. But let's talk about what we know so far, particularly about retailers. Those are going to be some of the things that people will see with the storefronts. We know a lot of people have been applying for these licenses, as you mentioned, but not everyone has been approved, right? It's an ongoing process.
1: Exactly. You know, we've talked before about how people are at different stages of the application process. Some folks were kind of ready to go right from the start when these laws passed a year ago and have really gotten all of that paperwork, all of the approvals through, and are going to be more or less ready to open their doors right when this starts. Other folks, it took a little longer, maybe they had to get additional approval, water rights, things like that, and it's taking them a little longer. Maybe there were holdups that they didn't expect or their application was rejected the first time they had to try again. And so yeah, there are still folks trying to get through that approval process. And so certainly uh, from folks I talked to on the ground, not everyone is gonna be ready to open their doors and start selling April 1st. Are Are you gonna be open or uh, is it gonna take a little more time? It's gonna take a little more time just
2: to clear me. We will Electric Cafe will be open serving regular food, but will I be open to the public with a full license? Man, oh man, I hope so. I hope they surprise the heck out of me. But my my gut tells me they're gonna allow uh, some of the others to gallop out the gate.
1: And that's one thing that Kirsten Thompson, the director of the Cannabis Control Division, talked to me about. She said that. Yeah, she, she of course, knows that folks are still in the process of rolling out. And so she expects kind of an initial spike in demand that'll then be kind of eased as more people roll out over the coming weeks and months, even potentially. Open.
0: We actually think that the stores, more stores will open in the coming months than on April 1st. Um, and that is something that we are really looking forward to in the future. And that
2: kind of brings me to this next topic about about storefronts in New Mexico and where those will be. We did ask the state's Cannabis Control Division about this. A spokeswoman told us on March 22nd that there were at least 228 licensed retail locations that have been approved in the state so far. But it's also important to note, though, there will probably be more than that.
1: Yeah. So as folks work through their licenses, work through the paperwork, work through uh, zoning processes. More and more applications will be approved as time goes on.
3: Okay. So a lot of these places will be here in Albuquerque. Let's talk about the Metro a little bit. According to the city's online database, at least 55 storefronts have been approved as of March 23rd. Those are all plotted out in an interactive map on the city's website, which is pretty helpful to see just where all the shops will be. You can see how close some of these stores will be to you or other businesses nearby.
1: That database is awesome. on there and see that these are spread out throughout the city fairly well. The city also has a link to um, the state's website that has another map of cannabis uh, medical retailers that are now going to be, some of them are now going to be offering regular recreational sales as well. So in addition to those 55, there are probably some more across the city that kind of will be ready to go right when this starts.
3: Albuquerque is also one of the communities that has some extra layers of rules too when it comes to where these shops can go.
1: Back in June of last year, Albuquerque City Council was thinking about where cannabis sales should and shouldn't be allowed. Ultimately, they decided, and this was unanimous, that Old Town should be kept cannabis free. The goal was to, as they said in the law, preserve its historic character and to account for how its character contributes to the economic and cultural welfare of our city. And so now manufacturing, cultivation, and retail are all prohibited in the Old Town area. Now that's a fairly small area. So as you mentioned, there are lots of places across the city that don't have those sorts of restrictions. In fact, uh, the city estimated that there are about 10,000 potential retail locations across the city that meet zoning and cannabis business spacing requirements. So a lot of potential places, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be businesses at all of those, of course.
2: And one of the other layers on top of the city's old town rules is just that these cannabis businesses can't all be right next door to each other. Some of them do have to be a distance apart. I think 600
1: feet from another Cannabis retail location 300 feet from a school or daycare facility. So there are some distance separation requirements, and we've heard producers talk about that. There are challenges there, especially if you want to be located, you know, in a strip mall where you, the rent is cheap, it's easy to get the location, but there might already be another business that has an application in. Going to create a little bit of conflict.
2: Yeah. First come, first serve sort of thing for a lot of these places.
1: Exactly. And some of the producers I talked to said that, um, you know, that seems like a fair system, but it uh, does, again, create a challenge if you're not first in line.
2: One of the questions I had about recreational cannabis retail as well is which communities will you not see it in, so to speak? I'm thinking about this with the bigger population centers in mind. I think there's a sort of easy way of thinking about this sometimes is that you just won't see it in the smaller communities who may maybe might feel more conservative, but at least what we've seen is that is not necessarily the automatic case. Um, According to the state's database of all these approved cannabis retail shops, we can get a sense of at least some of the really tiny communities where cannabis retail is expected to begin. To be clear, this database is always changing. This isn't all of the small communities, but we wanted to highlight at least a few of these. And one of them that stood out to me is the Texas connection. Notably, there are several small communities near New Mexico's places where a lot of Texans go to New Mexico towns or really close to the border? Gabby, you can elaborate a little more on this. So,
3: Texas is, of course, a state with no recreational cannabis law. So, here in New Mexico, shops already have approval in Alto, a small town just north of Viridoso, which is an area we know thrives on out of state tourism, particularly people coming in from Texas. Anthony has at least two shops that have state approval so far. It's literally right on the Texas border, just north of El Paso. We have at least five stores that have approval in the area of Sunland Park and Santa Teresa, close to El Paso as well. And then east of Clovis, again, right on the Texas border, at least two retail locations have approval to set up shop in Texaco.
2: Texaco is an example of a a city just like literally right on the border. Some of the other small communities where stores are expected to open, those include Madrid. That's a tiny kind of old timey mining town. Also big on tourists just outside of Santa Fe. Jal is also one of the most remote communities in Southeast New Mexico. They have a population of a little more than 2000 people. And we know that at least one shop is slated to open there with approval from the state.
3: The state tells us there are 508 licensed premises for cannabis businesses in New Mexico. Of those 228 licensed premises, they've been set aside as retail locations.
2: And those places we expect, again, will open over time. Just because April 1st hits doesn't mean that they're going to be open for business, so to speak. The state does not keep track of the opening day for these shops, retail places, manufacturers. They just give them the license and say do what you will hopefully that gives you a high-level view of what business will be looking like entering day one of sales on April 1st in just a moment let's get to the myth-busting a look at some of the rules that will be enforced or maybe not enforced Curtis is gonna give us a breakdown on all of that
3: Hey Curtis, so we mentioned off the top, you put this article online just recently about myth busting.
1: You know, as I've been covering the topic of cannabis in the state from lawmaking to the rollout of retail sales, You know, I've heard a lot of questions, comments, concerns from the public, you know, just little details clarifying, you know, the rules say this, but what about this? Um, Or myths that I've heard that I think should be dispelled. So, you know, it doesn't address every little detail of the law. I am not a lawyer and uh, you shouldn't be either as you try to interpret this, but I think it addresses some of the big picture questions. Who are the people you spoke to? I spoke with Kristen Thompson, the director of the state's cannabis control division. I spoke with a New Mexico State Police Captain Micah Doering. He's a high-ranking member of the State Police. He's uh, kind of an expert in Traffic stop, drug enforcement. And I also spoke with several cannabis business owners, folks from the city of Albuquerque, folks from APD. So, a lot of different input to try to address some of these
2: misconceptions. So, let's roll through some of those questions answered in your article. The first one in connection to EBT cards or food stamps. This always gets big highlights whenever we talk about the state benefits and how they get used because there are clearly rules. So, the question being, could someone use an EBT card or food stamps to buy cannabis?
1: Thompson with the CCD was very clear on this. No. Um, Remember, those are federal programs. uh, So federal funds, cannabis is still illegal at the federal level. So you can't use that money for cannabis. She said there's also no state programs, state food or uh, assistance programs that allow it either. So on both fronts, No, you cannot use uh, food stamps, EBT the like for cannabis. I asked, but aren't pot brownies a food? I would consider brownies a food. I love brownies. But she said, no, if there's cannabis added in, it kind of changes the definition. It's no longer considered a standard foods. Uh,
0: we regulate anything where cannabis is an additive that immediately means that it is doctored um, and it is no longer considered a food product.
1: So again, cannot use food stamps and the like for cannabis.
2: And one other follow-up thing is sometimes people can use EBT cards, go to an ATM, withdraw cash, use that cash to pay for food. That could still potentially happen, right? I mean, with that type of use of the card?
1: Sure, there are always potential for loopholes or even outright fraud with uh, EBT, food stamps and the like, trading for things. Um, So I asked the Cannabis Control Division about this and-
0: It would would be a question for the departments that administer those programs. This being a, a new program here, we are certainly willing to work with, with any other uh, department of the state or federal government um, to try to close loopholes if uh, it becomes a problem.
1: You know, kind of got to wait and see what people do, what happens. If anyone tries to do illegal things, they'll, they'll help out in filling those. Ultimately, the enforcement of that is going to be up to the people that administer those programs. So, in terms of EBT, food stamps, it's going to be federal enforcement.
2: Right. And also I know the state's uh, human services department interfaces with that yeah, as well. Them as well.
3: Okay. So what about alcohol and cannabis? Can you buy both at the same place? Well, if you remember about a month ago during the
1: 2022 legislative session, there was a bill going around that would help clarify this, uh, but that bill got stuck. It didn't become law. So Thompson at the CCD tells me that they are working to really clarify this. But the original intent of the law, she says, was that you could not get both cannabis and alcohol at the same place. So they're not approving any licenses uh, for sales of both at the same location.
2: So what about drive through cannabis? Um, we know New Mexico used to have drive through alcohol sales, um, but that was banned, at least drive through liquor sales in 1998. So can people go and do a drive through cannabis purchase?
1: You know, this is one I hadn't thought of initially until I really dug into uh, this article and writing this, I couldn't find any restrictions within state law that would prevent someone from setting up a drive-through cannabis shop. And when I talked to Thompson from the CCD, she said the same thing that the Cannabis Regulation Act that blanket state law doesn't outright prevent this, but she pointed out that local jurisdictions do have the ability to restrict the time, place and manner where these retail businesses conduct uh, their sales. So potentially a local jurisdiction could prevent the creation and start of a drive-through business. Um, I've talked to quite a few people working in the industry, working on setting up businesses, getting licenses, getting locations. And I haven't heard anyone saying that they're gonna try to do this yet, Um, but that doesn't mean it's not out there or not gonna be tried at some point, we'll have to see.
3: On the topic of driving, let's talk about police enforcement. Are police officers going to have a special test or a certain way to figure out when people are driving while at high? First off, let's just say
1: don't drive while you're intoxicated. That means with anything, right? Cannabis, alcohol, prescription drugs, that's the easiest way to just stay out of trouble. And that's what state police told me as well. Uh, That being said, you know, cannabis is a little bit different from alcohol when it comes to traffic stops. So I spoke with Micah Doering with the state police. Here's how he explained it. If the police see you driving dangerously, swerving, driving erratically, they're going to pull you over just like they always do, right?
4: We're going to be looking for impaired drivers under any substance, just like we are now.
1: At that point, they don't know what's going on with you. If you're um, going through something mentally or if you've ingested something, they don't know what. So they're gonna conduct a field sobriety test. That's your standard test they do for alcohol or any other thing where they suspect you're intoxicated. At that point, if it doesn't look like it's alcohol, they're probably gonna do what they call a drug evaluation. That's a nationwide standard assessment. It's a way to look at different types of impairment and behavior to see, yes, they are probably intoxicated with something, even if they don't know exactly what it is. Um, Now, They can uh, ask to take your blood to look for THC. Blood tests will show THC. Um, But as the captain points out, those aren't always the most conclusive or accurate tests. And it also takes a while to... Get those processed by the labs. They're not going to be happening on the spot to give a conclusive answer. So blood tests could be used. Uh, They'll have to ask you for permission to take your blood if they suspect you're intoxicated. Um, But it's just one piece of evidence among many. If you look at research out there, it spans a wide range uh, of studies that show that blood tests are good at detecting cannabis in the system others that say not so much or maybe it detects cannabis but that doesn't mean you're intoxicated right there's a wide range of this and uh the captain at the state police agreed with that he said you know it's not conclusive it's not a one-size-fits-all it's just one tool they can use among many to get their work done and assess Uh, if someone is impaired
4: just because there's a number a, a quantifiable number amount of that substance in a person's blood does not automatically mean they are either impaired or not impaired. That's where we need to rely on the drug evaluation and classification program uh, or drug recognition expert program.
2: It seems like Um, state police are leaning in towards the idea of using these uh, DRE trained officers or drug recognition experts, basically an extra layer of training officers taught to recognize other signs of impairment. In the past, I know from just even my prior experience reporting on stories like this in Eugene in 2011, I think it was, um, I did a ride along with an officer who had this special DRE training and he was one of just a few on the department staff, but there is a DRE training program in New Mexico, right? And they are putting more officers into that. The idea that those officers are more specially trained to find signs of impairment on things other than just the easy one, which seemingly is alcohol these days.
1: Yeah, DRE has been around quite a while um, in New Mexico and elsewhere. It now looks like departments in New Mexico are really working to expand it. You know, the state police told me that they'll have about two dozen additional officers going through DRE training within the next month or so. APD tells me they're prepared to train more as well. And if you remember uh, in the 2021 special session, you know lawmakers uh, passed some additional funding for those types of programs. So definitely something it looks like the state is working on expanding, but yeah, you're exactly right. It's an extra layer of training that officers would have that helps them recognize different types of intoxication to make the necessary arrests, write-ups, ticketing, all of that.
2: And I should say the New Mexico DRE program is pretty active on social media. They have a Facebook page where they talk a lot about the work that they do. And it's clear that in their trainings, they're training officers from all around the state. So you're seeing officers from Los Lunas, from Anthony, Albuquerque, other places get this training. We'll put a link to their work here in our story here.
4: It's a very uh, good program in our opinion. We support it wholeheartedly. Uh, And we use it at every opportunity to properly sort out impaired individuals versus non-impaired individuals or those few cases where they need medical attention, not police attention.
2: DRE officers. um, It makes me think of special units. Are there going to be special units, say with state police or APD, trained on how to recognize cannabis impaired driving?
1: Well, I didn't talk with every police department across the state, of course, but, uh, you know, the state police and here in Albuquerque, it looks like they don't have immediate plans to create a brand new unit to really expand that kind of enforcement. Uh, the, The sense seems to be that they've, been checking for you know illegal cannabis use uh, since even before recreational use was a thing, right? Uh, of course, um, so they're going to kind of keep doing what they're doing. They said they're aware that this could change some things, but until they see exactly what happens, they're going to do what they've always done, which is work to enforce the laws that are on the books and they don't have any plans to do anything drastic at this point.
3: So it sounds like police know things are bound to change and we've talked about like, you know, potential ways that it could change in previous episodes of the New Mexico News podcast, but exactly how and what will change is something it seems like they'll gauge as they go.
1: You know, I think some people are optimistic that there won't be too much new crime, especially related to retail sales. Thompson from the CCD says that she doesn't think there'll be really any issues in terms of increased burglaries. She says those types of businesses are safe.
0: Cannabis businesses, um, statistically, uh, and this is well-documented, Legal cannabis businesses are uh, are much safer than a bank, than a jewelry store, um, regardless of the amount of cash that may or may not be on the premises. Um, they are statistically safer um, and have are less crime associated um, out front or inside um, than other large cash businesses.
1: And remember, those businesses do have to have a lot of extra security just to get through the licensing process, things like cameras, a security plan. So, you know, to some sense, they are uh, kind of extra safe. APD, on the other hand, told me that they've heard from police and other jurisdictions that there is potential for increased violence, especially due to the nature of these businesses, right? They have a lot of cash on hand. They have Uh, cannabis which is potentially an easy to move product so you know no one's exactly sure what's going to happen but uh, everyone's kind of keeping their eye on the situation as it develops
3: okay another just frequently asked question or a question i know you've you've had before when it comes to smoking in public parks outdoor open spaces might see more cannabis use can you smoke at a park short answer is
1: no But remember, there are different kinds of parks, right? National parks, that's federal land. That would be um, White Sands National Park, for example. Because it's federal land, cannabis is illegal at the federal level. No smoking allowed there, no cannabis use allowed. At city parks, again, no. Generally speaking, um, smoking even of cigarettes is banned in city parks. And they're trying to clarify that this includes cannabis. Recently, city council was working on some ordinances related to clarifying that. They postponed a vote. uh, So we'll see if that eventually goes through, but that would amend the Albuquerque Clean Indoor Air Ordinance. But even if they don't do that, remember that the state law already prohibits cannabis smoking in public places. That's why if you remember way back when we talked about all of this starting up, They had uh, specific permits for designated cannabis smoking areas, things that would be kind of like bars where cannabis smoking is permitted. And then of course, smoking is permitted in your private residence. So broadly speaking, public places not allowed.
2: Lastly, I wanted to talk about supply. Of course, April 1, we know is the day when sales go out there. Uh, It's something new. So There's always the potential that, right, there's a bunch of lines right out the door. But will there be enough cannabis for New Mexico? I know producers have talked about this over the last year since the law was passed and their feelings on whether or not they would have enough.
1: Yeah, if you've been following a lot of people on social media or just hearing what producers are saying, a lot of them feel like, no, there's going to be to some extent some sort of shortage. But
3: opening day might be a bust for some retailers. They're worried a low supply might not meet demand.
1: What we have today is what we're going to serve the market with. Is it going to be enough to serve the complete market? The answer is no. On day one, it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be a challenge for as maybe as long as 9 to 12, 18 months. Um, that's partially because of it's hard to just get your business set up, right? A lot of application permitting process. So, as we talked about earlier in this episode, that uh, you know, a lot of business that we're hoping to be ready to go by April 1st won't quite make that deadline, might take them a few more months. Um, Kirsten Thompson with the Cannabis Control Division uh, says that there will be this initial spike in demand, um, there might be some lines, some potential shortages at, at individual businesses, uh, but she expects it to not be too drastic.
0: We anticipate that the, the demand, um, there will be initial excitement and, and we expect the stabilization within the industry uh, relatively quickly um, compared to um, some of the very first states that came online. Um, so uh, that is a place we're hoping to get to rapidly
1: Um, Um, So it's hard to say, but a lot of the producers I spoke to kind of predict there will be some sort of retail shortage.
3: So when the supply runs low, will a certain portion be saved for medical purposes so that they for sure have supply?
1: If you remember, that was written into the original Cannabis Regulation Act, um, that the businesses had to maintain a portion of their product for medical use and that there were certain Uh, abilities that the cannabis control division had to kind of place restrictions on businesses to ensure that. So uh, Thompson from the CCD says they're going to remind businesses that 20% of their current product does need to be reserved for medical cannabis patients. Um, And the state law allows them to, allows the cannabis control division to take additional examples. They can even incentivize increased production if there turns out to be a real big shortage. But they're, I think they're kind of waiting to see how things play out before they do anything like that.
2: That's what it really feels like with this whole law is that April one is this day that we've all been waiting for, but the interviews that I heard you do with uh, the folks at state police and over at the canvas control division, it really does feel like everybody is giving that same common answer. We'll wait and see, we'll wait and see, we'll wait and see, which is, A little weird to me just knowing that there are so many other states out there that have dealt with the ramp up and startup of uh, an industry like this. But at the same time, you know, New Mexico is unique, just like any other state is unique in opening up its doors to this. So... There is a little bit of an element of wait and see.
3: Yeah, even from the public, just kind of, well, we we know, you know, what could happen, what might happen, how it's supposed to work, but really how it, you know, impacts our community. This brand new industry is coming to our state and we will wait and see. Curtis, thanks again for giving us uh, some insight, some frequently asked questions and answers on the show today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me as always. Thanks. April 1st, is this week. We'll keep an eye on how cannabis will roll out in New Mexico. We're also back next week for another episode. In the meantime, feel free to reach out. Um, you can contact me via email, gabrielle.burkhart at and gburknm on Twitter.
2: You can reach me at chris.mckee at krqe.com. That's through email. And then on Twitter, I'm at chrismckee.tv. Thanks for listening.